Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories, and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder, this podcast deals with adult content, so if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Today, the letter is T, and T is for transgender and non-binary gender identification. The Oxford English Dictionary defines transgender as someone whose self-identity does not conform unambiguously to conventions of male or female gender. Non-binary gender identity, sometimes called genderqueer, is defined by Wikipedia as, quote, a catch-all category for gender identities that are not exclusively masculine or feminine, identities which are thus outside of the gender binary and cisnormativity. Cisgendered refers to people whose gender identity conforms to their biological sex. So when we say cisnormativity, this highlights that these are the usual norms applied i.e. those that apply to people who identify as the same gender as their biological sex. Joining me today is Dr. Meg John Barker. They are a writer, therapist, and activist, and an activist academic specializing in sex, gender, and relationships. Meg John is a senior lecturer in psychology at the Open University and a UKCP accredited psychotherapist and has over a decade of experiencing researching and publishing on these topics, including the popular books, Rewriting the Rules, The Secrets of Enduring Love, and Queer, A Graphic History. Welcome to the show, Meg John. Thanks for having me, Laurie Beth. My pleasure. Can we start with your definitions or easier definitions yeah. of the terms? I thought the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, dic- I'm not sure. I can give you my ones. I Please. mean, I think that transgender or trans is like the big umbrella term Mm -hmm. for anyone who doesn't and I would use I don't I'm not sure about biological sex I would use uh, people who don't remain in the sex that they were assigned at birth so at birth like the doctors the parents tend to go it's a boy or it's a girl so anyone who doesn't stay in that over the course of their lifetime that would be someone who's trans broadly speaking Mm -hmm. and anybody who does stay in that that would be somebody who's cis or cisgender but you can even right there start to question those terms a little bit because you can think well who actually stays in the gender that they were assigned at birth if you think about what did your parents and your doctor expect you know from a boy or a girl back then yeah, <laughs> you know, actually right. most people change in some way from those expectations you know so you can kind of see it as a bit of a spectrum but yeah the, pe- the people who really feel that their yeah like their identity or their expression has shifted 
quite a lot from that that they were assigned at birth and that can involve actually making bodily changes medical mm -hmm. changes where it can be just about socially um, expressing yourself in a different way from that gender assigned at birth and then within that trans umbrella you've got trans men you've got trans women and you've also got non-binary non people who are people like me who would say that they're somewhere between male and female or beyond that binary or those labels just don't fit them in some way so that's non-binary. And again, non-binary is quite a big umbrella for lots of different experiences as well. So big trans umbrella, smaller non-binary umbrella underneath the trans umbrella, and then lots of different words underneath the non-binary umbrella. Okay, so that makes sense to me. Um, cool. So I would identify, if I looked at myself, I would identify I'm cisgendered yeah. female because yeah. – that's what I was assigned at birth, although I don't conform to their expectations of me as a baby. So I like that spectrum. I definitely, yeah. you know, gender wise have never really fluctuated very much. Yeah. Sexual orientation, that's a different thing. So and I think that and I say that because I think that a lot of people listening might not realize that sexual orientation and gender are not the same thing. No, that's right. So sexual orientation is usually understood as like the gender you're attracted to. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be heterosexual, gay or lesbian or bisexual. But again, it gets pretty complicated because that's just one dimension on which we can judge sexuality. And actually, there are a lot of different uh, spectrums, like how much desire you have from being asexual to being highly sexual and spectrums about what roles you like taking sexually and what uh, sensations you enjoy. You know, I think Sari Van Anders, the, uh, who's a biologist over in the States, has done a lot of research about how really sexuality should be on like 10, 12 different dimensions. And then... Yeah. Actually, if you think about gender, same thing. You know, what do we mean by masculine to feminine? Are we talking about being dominant to submissive or rational to emotional or kind of delicate to strong? You, you could imagine, actually, there's a, another 10 dimensions that you can map gender onto. So somebody might be at the soft or submissive end, but they also might be at the butch and masculine end in terms of their appearance. Mm -hmm. So actually, yeah, think of, think of all these things as really complex and multidimensional and changing but, over time as well. But I quite <laughs> like that. I quite like that yeah. because it allows people to be who they are and it That's allows right. them to explore and to, and to really find out what works for them as opposed to having to stick to more rigid constructs yeah. about how they live their lives and how they love. So That's right. I feel like we should be liberating people. Um, my uh, colleague Dominic Davis at Pink Therapy, uh, which is a sort of LGBT therapy organization, um, he now uses the word gen GSRD, gender, sexual and relationship diversity, which I really like. So to think of gender, sexuality and relationship style as being diverse, you know, multiple, fluid, changing over time. And so we all have gender, sexualities and relationship styles. And it's, you know, it's okay to to map ourselves on those different dimensions and find find wherever suits us rather than feeling like we have to stick to a label or stick to a box. And yet many people find it really difficult to get their heads around anything that isn't two heterosexual cisgendered people in a yeah. relationship. <laughs> and one Absolutely. of the one of the things that comes up repeatedly is this lack of understanding about how people refer to themselves and differential use of pronouns and why that's actually important. Yeah. How, what would you say to somebody who just is having huge trouble getting their head around this as to why it's so important to honor a person's choice in terms of pronouns? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, personally speaking, I use the they pronouns, which is one of the most popular at the moment for anyone who's non-binary, because I think a lot of us choose they because it is something that people have heard before. And in fact, we, we do quite commonly refer to people as they in the singular if we don't know what gender they are. So if you say, oh, no, like, uh, look, somebody's left their hand by their handbag by the bench. I hope that they come back and get it. I hope they're not missing it. You know, <laughs> you would use they because you don't know what gender that person is um, but of course when you do know the gender of a person then people tend to use the he or she um, so I guess I mean it's really important yeah it's really important to honor it because it feels for the person themselves it feels really tough to be what they call misgendered you mm -hmm. know or assumed to be according to the, the male female binary so it's really great if people can get to use the they pronouns and I would just suggest um, if there's people in your life who use them just practice it a whole bunch um, that's the best thing just talk about that person a whole lot to other people and get their pronouns right and of course there's many other pronouns that other people prefer like z or per as well so there's plenty of online resources that can take you through this is how they work and generally speaking people don't mind if you mess it up a little bit because they're expecting it you know um, as long as you kind of apologize and then give it a go and try and get it right next time people are usually pretty cool with that i did my practicing on a friend who changed Gender, she's, it's now, she, now she, <laughs> yeah. she changed, was, yeah. she changed about six times and every, uh -huh. you know, it would be every couple of months would be, cause she was trying to figure out where she felt she fit and it would well, change. It takes some time. Yeah. It takes some time. I mean, people are often like, you know, just figure it out and make that change and stick with it. But actually in some ways you can't know these things completely until you hear people referring to you in that way. So, I mean, with my name, for example, first of all, I changed it to Meg John and John was like the, the middle name. I wasn't really expecting people to use it, but then Dominic Davis, who I mentioned before from Pink Therapy started using Meg John as this composite word for me and I loved it that felt really affirming because it's mm -hmm. got a kind of feminine and a masculine in it um, and so the more that was, you know hearing that being used by somebody else was really helpful to me to recognize yeah that's that feels like a good fit so I guess again with pronouns sometimes people will make a shift perhaps to their pronouns and then think you know that doesn't quite fit and then may maybe need to make a further shift so again the more you can be patient with people because while we live in this very binary world it does take a little time to figure out like where you fit on that spectrum so where do you where do you think the major issues are um for mm. this community it's a large community actually I mean, people speak of it as well, though it's this, a small, yeah. but it, because it encompasses so many different variations, it's actually quite a large community. Well, the size of it's kind of interesting because you can say, well, how many people identify as non-binary? It's quite hard to find because mostly censuses and things like that at the moment still just use gender, male and female. However, there have been some studies of some of the some of the surveys, the sort of national surveys that do ask if you want to say other. Um, and when you give people an option, it's about 0.4% of the population seem to tick that box in terms of identity. However, if you think about behavior rather than identity or experience, there's Daphna Joel's research coming out, and um, which found that a third of people, over a third of people, were seeing themselves as something other than simply male or female, wow. like some kind of combination of the two or somewhere between them both or, wow. you know, just something other than straightforwardly in the male or female box. So that's a lot of people who, yeah. I guess, if our culture was more open to this, might actually be identifying in that way. At the moment, it's just their experience. Wow. 
That's, um, that's, I'm really looking forward to seeing that research. I mean, that's fantastic. Check it out. I think it was in like Scientific American or New Scientist or something uh, reported. So you can find it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, Uh What do you think the issues are for this community? The things that um, we need to, we need to kind of address yeah, so we had um, a little survey, actually. There's been a couple of bits of research in the UK on this and a few bits of US research that have asked some questions as well. And they, they're coming up with some similar stuff. Um, on my website, I've got a little fact sheet that has some of this information, which I can give to listeners at the end. But um, what it came up with really was that key issues were like everyday misgendering, certainly, because we're still living in a culture where a lot of people are completely unfamiliar with this. You know, people just tend to refer to like sir or madam in shops, in restaurants, in cafes. People often say ladies and gentlemen when they're introducing or they're doing an announcement on the train. You know, we just don't seem to have got to that point where people are even thinking that there might be people who don't fit in those categories. So that sense of just every day being kind of worn down by people not getting it right and it's like what's your best bet is like maybe if people do it say sir half the time and madam half the time or something but even that doesn't really get it you know um and then um have again sort of not being able to have paperwork with your correct gender Mm -hmm. so at the moment in the uk at least we can't have uh, any kind of like x on a passport rather than m or f whereas in some countries i think australia now um, a couple of other countries, maybe India, you can now have a gender neutral passport. Wow. Um, there's some there's some talk of taking genders off passports any, uh, completely because why is it relevant anyway? Um, and similarly with other documentation or if you're filling out a form, generally it won't give you options. So it's, it's that sort of thing um, is quite is quite important. Um, and, the, you know, not having changing rooms in a shop, not having toilets that you can use, that kind of thing as well. So quite a lot of the sort of everyday business of life, you're going to, you know, 10 to 50 to 100 times a day come across this experience of just not fitting. And that does take a toll. I imagine that takes can take quite a serious toll, particularly if you don't have community yeah. around you or that you're close with that can support you to, to right. be, be unseen. Yeah, it's an invisibility and it's really similar actually to the other area that I research, which is bisexuality. So it's similar with sexual orientation that we think of it as gay or straight in our culture a lot of the time. So bi people have that experience of just being invisible or erased. And I think for non-binary people, it's a really similar experience, except that it's a bit more, it's a bit more with non-binary gender because you're just getting it all the time, whereas your sexuality isn't kind of constantly sort of being referenced in the way that your gender is i mean i'm I'm bisexual and i certainly talk a lot about that you know it kind of goes l you know know, (laughs) somewhere but but that isn't being referenced all the time that comes up when people make assumptions about relationships that comes up in 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 kind of broader stroke ways but in everyday life all the time that is not constantly being referenced whereas gender is That's right. Um, and, and if we think about the, yeah, if we think about the toll for bisexual people on their mental health, we know they have worse mental health than either straight people or gay people. Um, and I think that from the studies that I've looked at so far, there haven't been very many so far on non-binary people, but they're finding the same. It takes a big, a big toll on your mental health to be not recognised in that way. And also sometimes to, like other trans people, you know, you've also got a degree of transphobic discrimination and even yeah. violence sometimes, um, especially for people who are assigned 
male at birth who are taking on any kind of femininity, a bit like for trans women and yeah. some sort of feminine gay men who get attacked for that kind of, you know, being feminine, being seen as such a negative thing in our culture and what, you know, that, that, that real kind of misogynist, trans misogyny, they call it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. So mm. do you think that here um, we have it any better than they do in the States at the moment in terms of services? available mm, i don't know which country has the most awareness of it i think it may have gone a little bit further in the states in terms of awareness um but then also in the states there's more of an you know kind of issues around like the bathroom bills um so there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of panic about trans people and which toilets they're allowed to use again that that conversation in the u.s hasn't really I don't think has really got into non-binary gender that much, but of course, ideally for non-binary people, there would be some gender neutral toilets, um, either all, all toilets being gender neutral or at least there being some option available, which, which there generally isn't. And it's so frustrating because you're like, sometimes there's, you know, like two cubicles in a restaurant and they're both identical. One of them's labeled male and one of them's labeled female. And you're like, well, what did you do that for? That's completely nonsense, you know? I was in a place and I was I was just in the US and um, yeah. and I noticed that the restaurants that I was in that had one cubicle were all now labeled with all symbols. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's, that's, and that was in Maryland. And that was kind of shocking because I didn't expect it to happen in Maryland. But it was and it, and it was yeah. it was actually quite nice because if it's one cubicle, what is it? It takes nothing to do it. It takes so little to do it. Like that would be just such an easy win. I was in the White House actually earlier this year, which was an awesome thing to talking about bisexuality as part of their bi awareness uh, week. And uh, they had gender neutral restrooms available, which was very exciting to see. <laughs> but, um, one wonders yeah, if they have them now. Well, I think that may be changing. We'll see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm guessing that all of the bisexual activists maybe won't be invited to the White House next year, which would be really sad because that's been happening for, for several years now under Obama and it's been a, a wonderful thing. Wow. So, I yeah. mean, I, I think my sense is going back yeah. and forth quite a lot that yeah. British folk are tolerant. And I'm not sure whether that is true in relation to this. Mm. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, what, the, the experience that really sticks with me from the States was being in an airport once and I was going to the, the toilet and obviously I had to pick one. And um, uh, one of the guards in the airport was actually running after me going, man or woman, man or woman, <laughs> like shouting that, like I had to answer so that he could check I was going to the right toilet. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a degree of scary, which I haven't had in the UK. Yeah, that, um, that would make me very uncomfortable. Right? And in some ways, the UK has kind of a history of being okay with eccentricity at least yes. I guess if gender you know gender stuff can be seen under eccentricity although I'm not sure that it should be but um it's, but then I, again you know yeah so there's also the sense that we're kind of going back in time though with with Brexit and everything I mean the, the rates of homophobic hate crime have gone up staggeringly yeah. since Brexit as well as racist hate crime so I suspect anybody who's outside of the norms of gender is going to really feel that too yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly I don't certainly don't think it ought to be included under eccentricity. But what I noticed as American yeah. having 
moved here is that there was yeah. a degree to which I was allowed to be how I was because they could write it off as that's that eccentric American over there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In America, they would be saying you're eccentric and you need to conform. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like you're eccentric and I just won't see you. (laughs) Yeah. So a little bit more tolerance for nonconformity, but again, it affects people differently. So myself, as an academic, people do at least expect academics to be a bit nonconforming. So probably like you, I get it a little bit easier than some of my non-binary colleagues in other professions who who definitely struggle a lot. Um, so talk to me about the term queer and where queer okay. fits into this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on this recently because uh-huh. I wrote this book, uh, Queer, a Graphic History, uh, with Julia Scheel, who's an illustrator. So it's it's actually like a graphic novel or a comic, basically. It's a cartoon kind of history of queer. Wonderful. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, the book says like queer has got so many different meanings. So it's pretty complicated to break down because people use it in such different ways. So there's obviously there's some people still who really identify the word queer with a homophobic slur and they would never want to be called queer, mm-hmm. whereas it has been a reclaimed term as well. So a lot of LGBT people have reclaimed it as a positive term. And then there's this queer theory which is this whole academic study, which uses queer to mean anything outside the binary and anything that's not about identity. So that would include kind of bi people and non-binary people, people who trouble the binaries of um, gender and sexuality and and other kind of binaries as well. And you see, that's really interesting to me because um, I went to TED Women in October and and Pete Milan um, Mm. and... I'm going to forget his wife's name. Isn't that terrible? Give me a second. <laughs> sure. <laughs> How? You know what it is? It's the Kim Katrin. I'm, I know it's a K. Which is it? So it's Teak Milan yeah. and Kim Katrin Milan. Um, and they presented uh-huh. on a queer kind of love. And what they talked about was the way in which their relationship developed. And for Teak Milan being um, a trans man and through that process uh-huh. – of transformation and uh-huh. Kim Ketron being a cisgendered queer woman uh-huh. and how there were no rules about how they managed to interact and relate because they uh-huh. started in one part of the process and they stayed, stayed together through, through the rest right. of the process. And it was, I mean, it was moving. It was a fabulous talk, but for me, one of the most interesting thing was this discussion about, well, why do we, why are we applying structures, relationship structures yeah. that b- belong to a very binary sense of the world uh-huh. to things that are not binary? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think we're really imposing binaries where there are none and then people get it, people get very hurt by that. And I would say also people get hurt. Both those those who aren't those who don't fit the binary get hurt. But those who do fit the binary get hurt as well. If you think about gender, people who try rigidly to stick with like what it means to be feminine in our culture yeah. or what it means to be masculine, we know they struggle a whole lot too of eating disorders and depression for women and the high rates of suicide and yeah. not being able to express your emotions for guys. So it's not a good situation. We should be breaking down those binaries. That's what attracted me to the whole queer idea is like, actually, how could everyone benefit if we could kind of get away from the binaries and think about these things as more fluid and open and on spectrums and however else we can think about them that isn't a binary. So how do you think 
we as a group approach people who it's really foreign to because for me it's not foreign to because I was already identifying with all yeah. sorts of odd things that were non-binary you know polyamory well, is, exactly, also, yeah. is also non-binary right, yeah, you know yeah. so another thing I write about yeah absolutely yeah. so like, that wasn't yeah, that, you know it was like oh non-binary okay that's fine that makes sense to me but for people who yeah. are really a kind of more conventional and trying to understand how do we approach that in a way that actually allows them to hear? Well, I like to start where they are, you know, and, and exactly what I was just saying in a way. So if I'm doing any kind of training on this, what I'll generally start with is like, let's come up with a list on the board of what our society says is masculine and what is feminine. You know, all of that. And people find it very easy to do because we're constantly seeing products marketed in that way. Yeah men's and women's magazines and Hollywood movies. So it's very easy. And then I asked them, well, um, do, who fits, do any of you fit perfectly in one side or the other of this? And nobody does. Yeah. And I asked, well, what about people in your life? You know, do you know people who actually fit better on the other side than they're supposed to? Yeah. You know, even if they don't know trans people, they actually know plenty of people who don't, you know, and, and that starts where, where they are to see that actually these binaries are pretty rotten for everybody. And then it's, it's not such a hard job to kind of start talking about gender in the way we are as being pretty complex and multifaceted. And exciting. Far more exciting, exciting. than, than oh, having yeah. a script written for you you know, from birth, here's your script right. and you must follow it. That's and it can be like such a pos positive journey. I mean, my colleague, Alexia Taffy in the States, um, who's a, a therapist and academic out there, and I have just written a book on gender, which is very much coming from this perspective. So we're trying to help people just like anyone, whether they're cis or trans or binary or non-binary or whatever, how can you just explore your gender and sort of think of your gender journey as something that you're on and it's an ongoing process rather than this thing of a fixed gender. And I think it can be extremely powerful and often lead people to a, a place of much greater contentment, greater, mm -hmm. better mental health. You know, certainly for me, it's been very much linked to a journey of to, towards greater mental health, more self-compassion, that kind of thing as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the book and where, what you're doing right now and all the different kinds of ways that people can reach you and all of that. Fun sure. Stuff. Thanks. So, okay. Um, my main website is rewriting the rules. So it's www.rewritingtherules.com. Um, there's hyphens between rewriting the and rules. <laughs> Hopefully we can give some links or something. Um, so if, but if people Google for me, they should come up with that as well. And, um, Really what I'm all about is writing self-help style books, but ones with the difference, ones that are about really questioning some of these cultural ideals and seeing what we might put in our place. Uh, so I got uh, rewriting the rules. The book is kind of an exploration of relationships in this way, um, but it goes into sex and gender as well. And then I've got a book coming out that's focusing on sex and another one with Alex that's focusing on gender. But I guess the, the queer book is really the book of the moment. So if people are keen for a comic all about queer, um, again, you can get that off on Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books. Basically, I think it's in Tate Modern for Londoners, and it's available in the US now as well and in Australia. So, oh, um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> well, there will be a link when this um, when this goes out. There will be a link to your website yeah. on the um, descriptive description page, and also a link um, to the to the current books that are out there, so that people oh, can just thank go you so much. To them. Well, 
Yeah, no yeah I'm so excited at, at the moment because the, there's a new book coming out in January, which is called Enjoy Sex, How, When and If You Want To, which is me and my colleague Justin Hancock. So <laughs> so again, in relation to your podcast, it's uh, trying to be a kind of different form of sex advice that would be relevant to everyone because so much sex advice is just about heterosexual, cisgender, yeah. uh, non-disabled people. Um, so oh, yeah, God, you didn't even mention I, yeah. dis- disability. I mean, then you end up I, in a whole different thing. One of my things is talking yeah. about, you know, age and disability and things like and, mm. and things like menopause and and stuff that just doesn't get discussed. So important. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, I despair sometimes of where people get information because I know that kids still aren't getting appropriate information. Yeah. Um, That's uh, right. Peggy Ornstein's Ornstein's research is frightening. Her book on girls and sex re- that was came out recently yeah. is absolutely frightening. It's, yeah, well, that's why I wanted to link up with Justin Hancock, because he's one of the main sex educators in the UK. Um, and yeah, the, just kids aren't getting in school. So he set up Bish UK, the website for young people, which gives them all the information they need about sex and relationships. So it's a really good resource. And then, of course, in the US, you've got Scarletine. But, you know, we shouldn't have to have the, there are amazing websites, but we shouldn't be having to have those. It should be that kids are learning about all of this stuff all the time in school and they're really and accurate. From, and, and from parents. Uh, and, and yeah, parents, exactly. I'm working at the moment on a project that's um, flashcards and videos for parents right. to teach to teach according to developmental level. And so all the possibilities yeah. in the age of three, here's what might be yeah. going on. Here's what you can expect to see. Here's the age appropriate way of addressing it. Don't freak out about this. Don't freak out about uh-huh. that. You know, uh, because we can teach kids about consent at that age, and we can teach them about what feels nice in their bodies. And what doesn't feel nice. And words, yeah, exactly, words for things, all of that. We can really we can, be putting the basics. We can also make sure that we're not stomping on them when they're coming up with things. Like I'm, yeah. I'm minded of a, a three-year-old boy, ostensibly boy, who presented as a girl, right, and said, "I'm yeah. a girl." Put on girls' clothes, and you know. The way that we deal with that at that time has a huge impact on all future development for that child. That's right. And there's not much. And there's so much panic. Yeah. There's so much panic about that. There's so much like we must try and keep kids in these gender boxes and then complete panic if they don't. And it's like, well, if we if we were letting all kids just explore their gender playfully, then we'd have much less trouble. And those kids who, who do end up being trans would be able to explore their genders and so would everybody else you know it'd just be a much better basis for things but if you think about the media's response every time people talk about gender non-conforming kids it's complete panic and like yeah yeah just so really I'm to, to have some of that just just a way yet another medium because i find people do best when they have a million mediums to work with another medium something that's tangible that they can work with that so right i just because flashcards sounds great. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I always love flashcards, so I thought it would be good fun. But also, yeah. I mean, it's hard enough dealing with the adults. Yeah. It would be really nice if there could be a generation coming up where the problems weren't so severe. Yeah. Because that would good be really information good. was getting out there. Because right now, it, it, it just isn't. 
it's I mean, the thing is, young people do it themselves. I mean, if you look at the stats, it's now like over 40% of, well, nearly 50% of young people identify as something other than exclusively heterosexual or homosexual. And then you've got, you know, pretty high levels of young people who are questioning the gender binary as well. That that goes up to 20% or whatever. It's it's high, you know. Um, and, and in terms of relationship styles as well, there's much more young people embracing forms of open non-monogamy yep. of all kinds and giving it all different labels. I think it should be be, you know we should be listening to young people and what they're coming up with instead of trying to shove them back in these boxes exactly. and get terrified of them exactly <laughs> and 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 recognizing that by trying to shove them back in the boxes we do damage yeah real real real, trauma, real, real serious trauma. damage that yeah. that has far-reaching implications um you know I, yeah. I haven't seen the most recent teen suicide rate stuff in relation to sex gender and issues but yeah um it's it's high, it's especially high among trans yeah. young folk, you know, and yeah. especially, yeah, the the I I think it's it's really scary in that in that population. Yeah, because there's no place mm-hmm. where they feel safe and they feel seen and yeah. accepted for who they are, and that's actually not very difficult to make a difference in. Exactly. I mean, I really love the UK charity Gendered Intelligence. They are excellent on this. So I would say if anyone listening has got young trans people in their lives and want to know where to go, that's a pretty good resource. Well, amazing resource, actually. They run like summer camps for young oh, trans fantastic. kids and, and all kinds of things. But yeah, exactly. This, and, and give them money because there's only so because much they, they can do as right. well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah all, of the, all of these trans charities really, really need our support. Resourcing. And if, if you yeah, can, exactly. If you can't give them time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Brilliant. So thank you so much for joining me. This has been great. No problem. That was great to be on. I'm looking forward to the book. Um, and thank all of you for listening this week to the A to Z of sex. Please write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at a to z of sex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X dot com. And visit both websites, www.atozofsex.com and www.the-intimacy-coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and learn to sizzle and create the ideal lasting intimate relationship that you want. For a free 30-minute session with me, head over to www.atozofsex.com and click on the button that says book now. Please join me next week when the letter will be you. Thank you all for listening and I'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www dot a to z of sex dot com that's a t o z o f s e x to subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex sexuality desire and intimacy Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.